Hello, and welcome to the Empathetic Workplace Podcast. I'm Katherine Manning, and I'm the author of the book, The Empathetic Workplace, Five Steps to a Compassionate, Calm, and Confident Response to Trauma on the Job. I'm also an attorney with more than 25 years experience on issues of trauma and victimization. Here on the podcast, we talk about how to support employees, coworkers, and clients through challenging times so that we can build healthier and stronger organizations. Earlier this week, I spoke with Marianne Carinch, who is an author as well as being my literary agent. One of the things we spoke about is body language. In particular, we talked about what we glean from others based upon their body language and what we project with our own. She mentioned that so many people are fearful right now about the coronavirus, the political upheaval, all of the different stress-inducing circumstances we're experiencing. She said that one thing we can do to help each other is to project safety and warmth. Even with a mask on, we can make eye contact and smile at each other because that smile shows in our eyes even when our mouths are covered. I've noticed that I'm less likely to make small talk or acknowledge the people around me when I'm out wearing a mask. I think there's this underlying sense right now that people are dangerous and that we need to protect ourselves from strangers because they might give us a deadly disease. While it's true that we need to be careful about the coronavirus, if we're taking precautions like wearing masks, staying at a distance of at least six feet, and not lingering in enclosed places, the risk of transmission is actually quite low. And meanwhile, the lack of connection to others can be really challenging. All of this got me thinking about a book I read recently called Whistling Vivaldi by Claude Steele. The title of the book comes from the experience of Brett Staples, who is now a New York Times columnist. Staples is an African-American man, and when he was in college at the University of Chicago, he found that just walking around in Hyde Park, people would get nervous when he would come toward them. Women would clutch their handbags or couples would hold hands and develop these stony expressions as they walked past him. It made him feel awful, and he couldn't figure out how to get it to stop. He tried smiling at people, and that didn't work. He tried just avoiding eye contact, but that didn't work either. Then finally, in his nervousness, he started to whistle and he found to his surprise that he was actually a pretty good whistler and he could do these beautiful songs and they would come off strong and clear. He would usually whistle either the Beatles or Vivaldi's The Four Seasons. And then to his surprise, he found that when he was whistling, people's defenses dropped. Suddenly they would make eye contact with him and smile at him. And the point the author is making is that when these people walking around Hyde Park saw him, they saw only young black man, and they read that as violent, as dangerous. But then when they saw young black man whistling Vivaldi, that gave them a different impression of him. And suddenly their defenses dropped. They felt better, and therefore so did he. I think about how for some people, just because of their physical appearance, the way that they look to others, the way they move in the world, they can come across in ways they maybe don't want to. Staples didn't want to be scaring people, but people were afraid of him because of stereotypes they had about him. He had to work harder to help people to feel calmer and safer. I think particularly for men, especially large men, men of color, this is something to be aware of. Staples has described himself at that time as a broad six feet, two inches with a beard and billowing hair. 
I've spoken with men who work in victim assistance or violence prevention, and they've talked about their efforts specifically to project an air of calm and safety, especially when they're working with victims. It's obviously frustrating and unfair to be judged based upon a stereotype, which is really a snap judgment with little information where we're projecting things onto you that have nothing to do with you. The stereotypes that attach to me as a white woman in my 40s are obviously different from those that attach to a black man in his 20s. But I've also been in situations where I've realized that because of my race and class, the way I speak and dress, that I've intimidated people. I think we all probably need to be aware of the impressions that we're making, though for some people, this is obviously more of a challenge for reasons that are beyond their control. Similarly, I think it's worthwhile to engage another of the things that Marianne talked about, and that's curiosity. I would guess that the people who saw Staples and were afraid probably weren't seeing much besides his race, his gender, and his age. We all make split-second evaluations, particularly when it comes to our own safety. Can we try, though, to take just a second look, just one more second of evaluation? What was Staples' demeanor? What was his expression? Was there anything about him that signaled threat? He said that he was a shy and timid kid who tried to fade into the background. I'll bet that was pretty obvious to those who actually looked at him. I remember once a woman approached me on the street in DC and asked for money. My instant split second observation was that she was a heavyset African-American woman who was dressed in tattered clothing. If you live or work in a city, you get approached all the time by homeless people asking for money, so often that you start to develop defenses against that request for complex and heartbreaking reasons, because you can't give to everybody or because you know that if you allow that moment of humanity, that connection, you're going to feel the full impact of this person's dire situation and the inadequacy of your own ability to help. And so... My instinct in that moment when this woman approached me on the street was to turn away with just a little murmured, I'm sorry, as I've done so many times. But for some reason on that day, I took a second look and I actually saw her. She was around my age. Her clothes were torn, but they weren't dirty or old. She had a bruised cheek and her hair was disheveled, was kind of messed up. She saw me take that second look and she repeated herself. This time I heard what she actually said. What she said was, I need bus fare. I'm going to my sister's place. I knew because of my work that my sister's place was a battered women's shelter in DC. I asked her, are you okay? And she nodded firmly, she said, I just need bus fare. I need to go to my sister's place. And it finally clicked to me. She was fleeing an abuser. He was maybe out looking for her right at that moment. I opened up my wallet. I handed her some money and wished her good luck. And she thanked me and rushed down the street to the bus stop. I wish I could say that I always took that second look, that I always saw people. But even after that day, far too often, I have dismissed people without even really looking at them. I wish I were better at supporting the homeless, as well as those who are lost or confused, who are desperate, angry. Far too often, I'm stuck in my own concerns and worries, my projects, my plans. 
But when I can engage curiosity, step outside myself for just a minute and actually see the person in front of me, I'm always rewarded for it. The ability to help that woman get onto a bus and out of a dangerous situation, what a gift that was to me. I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. And I think about Marianne Carinch. One of the stories she told was about when her doctor told her that she had cancer. And she instantly began down this road of picturing her own future with fear and anxiety. But in that moment, she had just a second where she was able to see her doctor and she noticed that he was upset. He was very concerned and worried. And she got curious about why. And then she remembered that his wife had died of the same cancer that he'd just diagnosed in her. And that pulled her out of herself. It caused her to want to help him, to say to him, I'm okay. And I'm so glad to be fighting this with you. She was able to comfort him. And in doing so, she comforted herself. She herself felt stronger and less alone. We all need those moments right now. This is a hard time. When we support each other, we build bonds that strengthen ourselves as well as those around us. The first step is just to see each other. So let's all try to look for those opportunities. I'll include in the show notes a link to the book, Whistling Vivaldi, as well as to the piece that Brent Staples himself wrote about his experiences. Thanks for listening. Again, this is Katherine Manning. If you want to explore these topics further, don't forget to pre-order a copy of my book, The Empathetic Workplace, Five Steps to a Compassionate, Calm, and Confident Response to Trauma on the Job. Special thanks to Selena Porcaro for her help with today's episode. 